Okay. All right, everybody. Well, welcome. Tom Miller, Leaders Building Leaders. And, and this, is, this is an exciting day uh, for me. And hopefully it is for you too. I know you're on summer break or maybe some of you are doing some extra work in the classrooms or whatever it is, uh, wherever you are, whether you're on a beach or in the mountains uh, or just maybe just maybe you just woke up, which is fantastic uh, if uh, that's the case. Or maybe you're listening to this uh, session through an archive. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, the goal, remember, one of the main goals of this program specifically is to get you thinking beyond the four walls of your classroom, well beyond the four walls of your classroom. And that's going to be the, the, the real key to your, you know, becoming a teacher of influence uh, is, is outside of those four walls, how can I, how can I um, build influence? How can I support the school's mission and vision and impact on, on the community? And that's, and that's really going to be this, this whole teaching today, um, which is going to, to be based upon my work and, and uh, Katie's work really over our last 20 years of education, uh, but at least 10 years in charter school uh, leadership uh, research and, and consulting. So this is the first of, of many videos uh, over the next uh, five or six weeks, uh, a weekly online opportunity for you to continue to grow and build upon what, what you learned uh, two weeks ago if you came to our opening uh, session. So it's important, it's important that you keep a real open idea about that this is, this is really based upon 20 years of research and, and, and my thoughts and, and that growth is the key to awareness. And part of your growing your awareness is really unlearning what we already know or think, okay? Unlearning. Remember, we, we talked about the whole um, system or the uh, cycle for success is to, is to test, fail, right? learn, unlearn, and relearn uh, to get there. So the first question that I always like to ask charter school principals and, and board members is, if your charter school didn't exist, would anybody know? Right? Would, it, would, it, would it be an impact on the community if the school never opened? Because if the impact on the community isn't clear and focus on significance, then why, why honestly should anybody bother? So let's, let's just change the question. Around. What, if, what if the charter school that you led, right, were two to three times more impactful on, on the community? What would, what would that do for the community? So to better answer these two uh, posed questions, so let's, Let's just start the analysis of your organization by first taking a look at your school's mission, right? The mission is the heart of the organization. It's, it's a starting point that is the pulse of why everyone there does what they do. And great organizations continuously follow their mission and they rarely stray away from it. And because even the slight deviation can result in a flutter of ineffective activity and confusion. So the starting point of any organization, of the organization that you currently work for, right, or a member of, right, or your church or your community or a nonprofit, whatever it might be, the starting point, right, um, of, of an organization is getting down to the core of what the, of what the mission is. So there's been lots of experts share, you know, share their, uh, their takes on the importance of mission. And, and for this, this session, I'm only going to focus on two particular people. One 
is the father of, of, of um, executive management, uh, Peter Drucker. And he said thir over 30 years ago that the mission says why you do what you do. It's not by the means of which you do it. And then in 2009, uh, best-selling author Simon Sinek, he, he took, and, and he continues to take the corporate world by storm. And it's over 10 years. It's crazy that this that book came out over 10 years ago, but that it's got over 37 million views by just coining the phrase, people don't buy what you do. They buy why they buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And he and he shared with too many companies and organizations, they just start with the what, right? The the product. And then they work inwards towards the why, which is the real motivation. Right? It's the real motivation of why we hope every every employee works there and every parent chooses for their for their children to come to a charter school. Right? That's that's honestly <laughs> knowing the mission and understanding the mission and being clear is has everything to do with public charter schools. And so to reiterate on you, you know, Peter Drucker's take, he said that the mission is the heart of the organization and the starting point is the pulse of why everyone there does what they do. So whether it's one individual with a dream or a group of parents deciding to put an idea for a school forward, the mission starts with an idea and is deeply rooted into all aspects of your learning organization. And so from, from the years 2000 to 2007, I spent, you know, seven years as an as a exceptional children's teacher in, true, in two uh, uh, traditional public schools in New Hanover County. And I never heard anybody talk about the mission of the school or what made our schools unique or, or special. And it, it certainly wasn't deep-rooted into any aspect of the organization. And as a result, I didn't really see too many of my colleagues rally behind the organization. I don't know if any of you taught in a traditional public school system, but I'd be curious to hear what your, what your experiences were with, with, you know, understanding the mission or knowing whether there, there was a mission. So in 2008, right, in, in 2008, I got hired as an exceptional children's teacher at a, at a public charter school, right? And they, you know, they implemented an education program focused on direct instructional practices uh, for, for grades K to five. And all the training that I received when I first got hired, I had a full week's orientation of, of just, you know, training as a new hire. That was in year eight of my career, revolved around these three M's of, of the school's program, management, motivation, and mastery. And the rule was, if you weren't getting the third M, check the first two, right? So my first three weeks of employment, I just, you know, it was constant, rigorous, pre-service and professional development and way longer than any training I'd ever received in seven years in the, in the school system. And I started to notice that I was only asked to come to specific trainings and sessions. And actually one time I was actually asked to, to leave because I wasn't especially, you know, this uh, training wasn't related to the, to the kids or the program that I was to serve. And I was told to go practice what I had learned in the previous training. And I was like, practice, <laughs> practice. And so, so in speaking to the teachers who came out of that training that I wasn't invited to, the overall content was the same, but the rigor and strategies taught were at a, were at a higher level. I took offense to that. You know, I had seven years of experience. And 
you know, why was I in the slow group all of a sudden? So when I approached the coach to ask if I could participate, the next time that they had that session, she asked me if I had practice and mastered what I had learned so far. And I said, well, no. And she said, then no, you can't come. <laughs> so during my first few weeks, I was, I was constantly waiting to get pulled from my classroom to handle students with, you know, behaviors in other classrooms and, or attend meetings that really weren't relevant, you know, relevant to my students. And it just, it just never happened. Every day I came to work with a, with a clear plan to, to carry that out. It was teach, assess, praise, reteach, or, or move forward. I knew that what my students would be learning that day and how I would know that they learned it and, and what I, you know, what I was going to do if they didn't learn it. My students excelled really quickly, and, and I received weekly feedback from, from a coach. And if you walk through the entire school, the first 90 minutes a day, every classroom from grades K to 5, they're all following the same model, just at different academic levels. Every teacher understood his or her role in the process and carried the program out with fidelity. Now, this was my first experience in an organization where the leadership of the school clearly defined the mission and purpose so that every stakeholder was aware of the expectation. The mission was more than just words on paper. It was carried out in every aspect of the school. And it had been for 10 years to that point and over 20 years now. So why is this important? You see, when organizations deviate from their why, they lose their way. And marketing expert Donald Miller says, when you confuse, you lose. And the most effective schools that I have studied sustained their mission through stable school leadership, clear education plans, effective teachers, and highly engaged parents. And, and so now as a charter school consultant and strategic thinking partner to, to so many principals, I, I investigate and analyze schools at all different academic levels, right? All, all different achievement, success levels, and, and how long they've existed. And there's one thing I know for sure, that the schools that have a faculty who understand who they are and why they exist and are able to clearly articulate and communicate the education plan and the mission and the overall program, that they've learned to prioritize their time and focus their resources on what's most vital, just making subtle tweaks in their plans, resulting in significant improvement in teaching and learning. And the schools that are underperforming, they're muddy. They're muddy with their communication and they typically have a hodgepodge of uh, programs and theories within their education plan and, and they never learn to prioritize what actually gives them the greatest return. So do they, they do one of two things. They either hover in destination uh, disease, just happy with being better than the traditional schools that surround them, or they, re or they repurpose funds annually and just buy the shiny new program that they think is going to fix all, confusing and frustrating their teachers and really blaming other people, you know, parents, the government, or, or their students for their school's overall failures. So what makes an effective mission statement, right? So, so what makes an effective mission statement? So here, here's just a few questions that you can utilize to determine whether your current statement is actually effective. And if the answer of any of these questions is no, then I would really, I would really, I would take a look at the mission statement. Maybe, maybe I would, you know, uh, pose an opportunity for the school improvement plan or, or the school's leadership team with you all included 
to really think about redrafting. So one, is it short? Two, does everyone know it? Three, can you train around it? Does it define you? Will it take you in the right direction? Does it inspire passion? Does it say how you want to be remembered? And has it, has it honestly been revisited over the last three to five years? Has anybody really taken a hard look at it? And it's really important to answer yes to all these questions because if, if you are asked if, if your company will ever be stopped, you know, you want to, you know, answer no, right? It's always going to keep on getting better. So I pulled a couple of examples, business examples that you guys might uh, recognize and, and, and um, see, if, see if you can match the mission with this world-known organization. So, so the first mission I'm going to pull is, it's to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Anybody have a guess at whose mission that is? You might have already used it this morning. I know I did. That's Google. That's Google's mission. Organizing the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Makes sense, right? When you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what they do. How about this one? How about this one? Most of you may be using this right now. So bringing the best personal computing experience to consumers around the world. Bringing the best personal computing experience to consumers around the world. That's Apple. Yet everybody buys their phones from the best personal computing experience, right? Because they do. You got many, you got many computers in your hands. I will right, we'll do, we'll do one or two more. Uh, how about this one? Give the people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Give the people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. That's Facebook. That's Facebook. All right, one more. To give ordinary folk the chance to buy the same things as rich people. I love that mission. To give ordinary folk the chance to buy the same things as rich people. That's Walmart, right? So I've got a whole list here, and I'll, and I'll share them out. But it's, it's like when you think about it and you read these, they're, they're short, they're memorable, they're clear. I, could, I, can, I can picture myself being a Walmart, I guess, buy the same things as rich people. They all need hoses and all sorts of things, right? Netflix is to revolutionize the way people watch movies. And they have. They've completely taken over the market. They're shutting down, shutting down, you know, major movie organizations. So think about, you know, think about your vision, your mission and vision, right? When it was written, it, it just wasn't written for that founding group of people. I mean, some of you work in charter schools that have been in existence for 20 years. I mean, it really needs to be written to ensure that it's written for the next generations. Some of you have generational leadership, right? You've had, you've had students that have come back to be teachers. 
How exciting is that? So here's a couple of well-written charter school missions uh, that I pulled. Uh, Sugar Creek Charter School, which you may uh, may not know. We'll just I'll I'll, I'll uh, read the mission. You can kind of think about what uh, population that they have. But Sugar Creek, it's in Charlotte, to eradicate generational poverty by providing a college and career preparatory education from kindergarten to twelfth grade. To eradicate generational poverty by providing a college and career preparation education from kindergarten to twelfth grade. I mean, when I think back to those uh, questions, is it is it inspiring? Is it passionate? Heck yeah! to eradicate generational poverty and providing a college and career prep education. Basically, Sugar Creek is almost 100% minority in free and reduced lunch school. Here's a great one, I love it. And they're part of our study, Clover Garden. Clover Garden School will foster community, generate enthusiasm, challenge students academically, and produce successful citizens. I can rally behind that, and it's got great core values built right into the mission. The school that I'm a board chair at, Explorers, will be a catalyst for solving present and future problems across the street and around the world. Charlotte Lab School. The mission of the Lab School is to rethink schooling for the 21st century. To rethink schooling, right? I love it. I mean, I posed a question to a board recently about that. If you, if you didn't know what school was, right? If we all didn't experience school the way we experienced school, what would we create it? Like, what would we make it? I mean, that's, that's exciting to even think about. And that's, that's what their mission is at the lab school, to rethink school, to just do what we've always done. Now, here's one. It's, it's a little longer, but... Um, the new, the mission of the New Horizon School, and this is to provide a school for homeless children. That's where I think their mission should, should end, but our objective is to help children escape the bonds of poverty and hopelessness by providing education, life skills, values, and caring environment that will empower them to successfully move into the mainstream of society. That's more, they've kind of combined their mission and their vision there, but I, I just love it. The mission of the New Horizon School is to uh, provide a school for homeless children. Boom. I know exactly what that school does. <laughs> I could rally around that. So anyway, so, so there's lots of good. So, so when's the last time you took a, at, your, at your school mission, right? Because most school leaders would like to think that the majority of their parents choose their school based upon the school's mission. But the fact is, the majority of charter schools, the parents don't, don't know the mission. And many of the teachers and staff are not really sure why the school exists and how it's aimed at actually making a difference. So how does this relate to you as a, as a teacher leader? Like, what does this really you know, matter? So one way is, is, is to you know, think through how are we collecting tangible evidences to know that we're actually meeting our mission, our promises to the community, right? What are we, what are we really set to do here? And are we doing it? Can we tell? And are we any different from the, tr from the traditional public schools that we, you know, most of us left you know, to come here? So how does your role as a teacher leader, how can you do that? You know, why is that important? So one is, you know, one, one example that we see is how, to, is how to promote, you know, the school's mission statement, right? So maybe it's, that, it's in your email signature. You know, you know these are low-level things, but in your email signature, maybe they're on the letterhead. 
um, advertising pamphlets on every flyer. Maybe they're on the walls of, of, of your school. They're, they're, you know, referencing all trainings and faculty meetings and right. So it's important that the teacher leaders understand how to communicate the mission and what it truly means, because you're the ones that have your boots on the ground, you know, 95% of the time you're in meetings, you're, you're in deep, with uh, stakeholders, and and so you should know and you know and understand how to how to effectively communicate uh, the mission statement. One way could be to just share stories that exemplify the mission. Right? Share stories that talk about talk about the mission. Right? That like that homeless school. I guarantee they got lots of stories that could exemplify the mission. Like you've all taught students you've all made an impact on students and if you think back to it how the programming of the school how the mission is whether it's you know community-based and you know student-centered or whatever it may be uh, how it how it clearly impacted that that organization right how it impacted that student you could tell you could tell that story and i remember when i was a principal i, I had this unbelievable teacher leader unbelievable teacher leader and recently, um, she had applied for a job to be a principal. And when she was interviewing, they called me as a reference. And I was like, like I, I don't have time to answer your reference questions, but here's what I'm gonna tell you. We were very rigorous. Our school was extremely rigorous in terms of you know, benchmark assessment and, and, and having lots of data. But we were a year-round school, and every at the end of every nine weeks, we had you know we had a benchmark assessment. And for some reason, as the principal, like a dummy, I scheduled this benchmark assessment on the last day of the nine weeks, which it happened to be a half day, right? And we didn't offer any busing or anything like that. And so you know, we had 900 kids on our campus, and so that's a four or five hundred cars coming through every single day. And I received a phone call from one of the parents at, at seven o'clock in the morning. And she's like, hey, Mr. Miller, um, Austin, right? Who Austin's her son, who I had taught years ago when I was an exceptional children's teacher. And now he's a sixth grader and he's just starting to kind of learn how to read and starting to kind of really feel himself. And, and um, you know, she says, oh, it's a 45 minute drive. And Austin is, he and I'm, I'm starting to think that he's, she's saying he's refusing to come to school, right? She says, I don't, I don't really want to take the try, but he's saying if I, if I don't go to school today, I won't be able to take my benchmark assessment, my benchmark reading assessment. <laughs> and I had said to, him, to her, well, ma'am, you know, a couple of years ago, we could barely get Austin to like do a worksheet, right? And now he's asking you to come to school in a half day to take a three hour test, right? So when I, you know, when the reference, and it was that, you know, teacher's ability, he didn't want to let her down. That's what he's told us. I don't want to let Mrs. Gorski down. I don't, I don't want to go. And I, she told us that this is how she's going to know how much we've learned and where she can start teaching us to start the fourth quarter so we can make sure that we, you know, pass our EUGs and we go to seventh grade. And so after that, you know, the, you know, the folks in the reference called it, okay, we're good. Like we totally get who she is, but that's, but that's a story about how our school was so focused on teaching kids where they are and getting them to grow based upon our mission and our three M's, you know, motivation, management, and mastery. 
it's huge. I could use that story to talk about our school. So what, so what stories, what stories could your walls tell? And then lastly, you know, demonstrate the behaviors that, you know, support your mission. So look for opportunities to, to jump in and serve your team. And, 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 you know, maybe, you know, there's some schools that do a daily standup of five or 10 minutes long tops and they get the whole staff. Maureen Joy is one of them. They get the whole staff for the first seven minutes of the day. They pack themselves into one room and the principal talks about the mission, the vision, why we're here and what's most important today. And that's it. Boom. Every single day they do it. Every single day they do it. Now, you might not be able to do that, but there are some things that you could start doing. So that's the first one. <laughs> Sustained school mission and vision. Is anybody exhausted yet? Are you still there with me? Such a critical part. Why the organization exists. Any thoughts or questions on that? Katie, I think you're out there with us. If you've got any thoughts, you can hop in, un unmute yourself. I'm here. Um, you know, I love, I'm loving what you're saying. And, you know, I'm just thinking about a, uh, a school leader I talked to, you know, about staying on mission. And, um, you know, this mom raised some money and said, hey, I want to do a school garden. And the principal said, how does that relate to our mission? Mm. And she said, no, but it's just a great idea. And she said, but how does this relate to our mission? And she's like, if we can't relate it to the mission, we can't do it. Well, the parent got mad, went to the board, and the board said, let's do it. And she held her ground, the principal mm. did, and said, how does this help us meet our mission? And they, they couldn't answer the question, so they stopped arguing about the school garden. <laughs> yeah, what, what a great point. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to my notes here. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why you have it written down because you can say and, and you have a plan in place because you say, well, how does it, how's it going to take us there? Right. But otherwise, it's, if it's not, then, then there's no, there's, there's a no point. Yeah. Great add in there. Anybody else have any thoughts or questions on, on just the mission or want to share their mission or, or say, gosh, I've never seen our mission. I, I don't know that, you know, that's okay. I, I guarantee, I guarantee there's someone on here because, because, because I'll be very honest. The mission of that charter day school doesn't meet that criteria. The mission of that school was long winded and right. But, but the vision and, and everything else was so darn clear of what we did. Um, so I always think of those three M's as really, really being our mission statement, uh, the management mastery or, or the uh, uh, motivation management and uh, mastery of, of that being. So, so they don't necessarily fit it in terms of like the words on paper. So I would be a hypocrite to say that they had a, a really inspirational message. But what they, what they aimed to do was so darn clear and they've been doing it for 20 some years. So. Well, and Tom, we have a, a, a message on the chat from jberry230. Oh, she says, I know we do a seventh grade positive affirmation created by the students every morning to set the tone for the day, but maybe there could be a way to include the school's mission. And I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yes, what a great point. And a couple of the schools I did study had something similar and we built our standing ovations around that same, that same process and it was more either monthly or quarterly. Well, well, awesome. For some reason, I can't see the chat boxes. So thank you for uh, pulling that up. Nothing's, uh, nothing's uh, showing for me. I'm sure it's hidden under, under my nine millions of iPad uh, links here. 
All right. So the one thing I did want to show you all, and, and I should have put this first, you know, a lot of this in law, there's six managing goals of a, of a charter school. And, and so one is expanded professional opportunities that are being provided to teachers. Two is schools are being held accountable on, on performance-based tests. Schools are providing parents expanded choice for the children's education. Schools are improving student learning. Five, increased learning opportunities for all students with special emphasis on at-risk or gifted. And number six, this is the one you hear the most. Innovative teaching methods are being used that, that can be adapted to the traditional public schools. So this is actually physically written in law when you're talking about you know, charter schools. And you think about, you know, does, does my school you know, do these? And this is really was like the first emphasis when I started my dissertation research 10 years ago was taking these six and starting to look at it. But the one that you'll hear you know, about the most is charter schools aren't, aren't innovative and their teaching methods aren't innovative. And, and you know, in some areas, they're not. Uh, but where they are innovative is is in with their operations, and we'll and we'll talk about that when we get down to the site-based decisions in, in real time. So let's so let's talk about our second one. So I want to talk about strategic personnel decisions, and so I don't want to go too long on this one. So Katie, make sure you cut uh, me off here if I get long-winded. But so there's there's two there's two critical steps in achieving a goal, right? Uh, the first is really becoming the best leader that you can, right? So that's what we focused on uh, two weeks ago, right? It was really about, this is a personal development program. It's really about growing you and not just being that third base, you know, that, that third base uh, person. Remember I showed you the home run, right? And really being about first base and character and second is, is, you know, growing other people because that's what the second, second is surrounding yourself with the best leaders that you could find. And it's, it's, part of your job to be equipping uh, your, your peers. So that's, that's why you're here. That's why your principal's invested in you. So, and, and those, you know, might be, so, you know, you know, maybe some of you, and I'm really hoping, you know, some of you have aspirations to maybe be a instructional coach or curriculum director or, or, you know, assistant principal or, you know, principal, or maybe even start, you know, your own school. And, and when you do, you want to find those that are like-minded, but they think differently right? And they possess specific skill sets that, that fill your deficits. And that's, and that's really important when you even think about your grade level teams or your departments about, you know, you know, we all can't have the same skill sets. If we all have the same skill sets, we're just going to be knocking into each other. And we're going to be probably pretty efficient at whatever those skill sets bring us, but we're going to have a lot of, a lot of gaps. So, you know, uh, public charter school leaders have to be strategic and innovative and risk averse because, because of the funding restraints, they really have to be learn how to be resourceful and strategic in terms of, of their personnel decisions. And because they operate in a district free environment and have autonomy of you know, public school licensure laws and, and you know, the whole requirement. I told you the story that I couldn't get a job in a school district uh, you know, because it didn't necessarily have, have the right requirements. And even when I got a job as a middle school principal of a charter school, I technically didn't have my administrator license, so I couldn't have been a principal in a school system, even though I had a license to be a superintendent. That doesn't make any sense, but that's the way it was. So effective charter school principals really seize opportunities to create those expanded opportunities for everybody in their organization, regardless of their certification or qualifications. And in the most effective schools that I have uh, studied, the uh, principals are creating school improvement initiatives, specifically providing these three things. 
One is they embed teachers and key stakeholders in the mission-driven decision-making processes. Two, they provide teachers and key stakeholders and advanced leadership roles and opportunities into lead critical components of the school's academics and operations success. And they grow their next leaders from within the, or the organization. So three things, they embed key stakeholders into mission-driven decisions. They uh, provide uh, stakeholders advanced leadership opportunities despite their qualifications or certifications. And they grow leaders. So these opportunities are no different than what you probably see in most traditional public schools. But however, because they had a clear path, right, to obtaining these expanded opportunities, right, they, and they didn't have to go through the limited, you know, uh, bureaucratic barriers, that this was, this was motivational to these teachers. This was inspiring these teachers. So critical, right? Remember I told you, that when I left the school system and took that job at the charter school, he specifically said to me, we're gonna have 100 charter schools in North Carolina, one charter school in every county, and you could be the exceptional children's director of all those 100 schools. Now, they never came close to that. They only had two schools at the time and they only have four 10 years later in total, but he painted me in the picture of that professional opportunity. And he didn't say, well, you, well, you know, you're gonna have, you know, have to go back to school and get, you know, he didn't say any of that garbage. He painted me in the picture and, and inspired me to get to an opportunity. You know, and I've shared, I tried many, many times <laughs> to just hear those words when I was in the school system, right? So I have this, this one slide here. So, one thing, one thing that, that I noticed, right, so this is, this is one of the tables of, of the examples of the expanded professional opportunities that, that, these, that these, these high performing schools had teachers advance to curriculum leaders and administrators and grade level deans and leaders of professional development or, you know, EC directors or maybe, you know, maybe even education consultants for other schools. That's what they do at Community School of Davidson is that Joya Warner, um, you know, she's like, I don't have time to help all these other schools and all these other schools won't want me to help them. So, you know, she'll say to the school, look, you can't have me, but you can have, um, you know, uh, Julie Gardner. And, you know, Julie's been with me since the beginning and she's one of our founding teachers and she'll, if, as long as you treat her nice and you uh, pay her for her time, I'll, I'll let her take days off of school and go help you at your school. Right. I mean, imagine, imagine that. Imagine, imagine a principal having so much confidence in you that they send you to another school to go help that school. And Joy knows exactly what she's doing because that teacher is now learning how to be a higher level leader and communicator outside of her organization. So when that they come back into her organization, not only are they going to be better communicator and leader there, they're going to have more confidence and they're going to also go see what, what was maybe some of the barriers at another school or maybe even some good things and bring them back. She's got these teachers being consultants all over the place. She also builds a program internally where, where that, you know, 10 teacher leaders per year get to apply to be administrators for the day. And it's a monthly opportunity where one day of that month, they are in an administrator's role. 
they, they come from out of the classroom, they spend the day, they do the same things that a principal would do. So you could have a great day where you're actually in classrooms and giving teachers feedback and, and you know, uh, supporting, or you could have the day where you're investigating who left the cigarettes, you know, in the bathroom, whatever that is, whatever it is, they do the same thing. And what she said is that those, those 10 days and all it cost her, all it cost her is $1,000 per person per year because she goes, I only have to pay for the substitute one day a month. But the information that those teacher leaders get from getting outside of their classroom and being able to see the entire school from a bigger picture is priceless. And then a lot of people decide whether, you know, that they want to go into administration. And if they do, the school helps them do that. And may, they may or may not ever be a principal at that school, but Joy's job is to grow leaders. And if they decide, oh my God, I don't want to be a principal, regardless, they had a whole year of seeing that school from the outside. So when they're sitting in a grade level meeting or when they're sitting in a, in a uh, department meeting and there's a lot of just huffing and puffing going on, they're able to be the voice. They're able to be the big picture voice. They're able to be able to communicate with clarity, oh, this, well, well, this is why they did this. You know, when I spent that year, I had learned that this, you know, because you guys are in a box, you know, you're in your four walls and you don't always get to see all that. There's also opportunities when, you know, parents advance as into leaders, um, right? Some of them, you know, become the principal, some uh, become teachers, some, some, you know, work the front office, some just volunteer a lot. I mean, whatever it is. So it's really, it's really important that you, that you work with your leadership team, right? With your school's leadership to, to think outside the box. I always say charter schools are given a mile, right? Katie, we talk about, talk about this all the time. Charter schools are, are uh, given a mile, but they only take an inch. That's right. right. You, you can do it. Well, any, you know, yeah, good, go. parents, parents can even become the head of office of charter schools, right? That's, That's right. how Dave Machado got involved. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He worked at a car dealership and he joined the board of the uh, yeah. Lincoln Charter, and then now he's he's heading the whole thing. So yeah. you never know where the leader's going to come from. That's right. So so a big part of this being strategic is is asking um, what what do we need done, right? Where are our gaps in our school? And then identifying people internally in your organization that specifically you don't know, have some of these skills or they're good at these skills, or they can go get the training to come back and do it at these schools. And it doesn't mean that they need to be pulled out of their classroom for an entire day or for an entire year to add this value. But sometimes we get stuck in this box mindset that, well, I can't have an instructional coach because I don't have the money to have a coach. Well, that's garbage. You certainly have the money to be a coach. They're probably sitting in your school. Like when I was a principal, all we did is we had 90 minute blocks and we built the schedule to allow two teachers every single day, right? One of them. So one of them had two days a week of 90 minute openings and the other one had three days a week of 90 minute openings. And that's where they went and did one. One was our school wide um, um, ESL teacher. Cause that's, that was in her heart and our school didn't have one. So she, so we built her time and the other one, uh, might thought that he wanted to be a principal one day. So he used to handle all of my administrative operational stuff and, and discipline and all those things. That's what he did during those 90 minutes. And now he actually is a principal 
of the school. He took my job when I left that school, and now, and now he's the principal of a very successful uh, school here in Wake County. But he was a teacher. He was a math teacher at the time. But it, but it took that uh, thinking outside the box, right? So, so, so that, that really important number two is strategic personnel decisions. And, and, and you have to be the influential voice in your organization to, to you know, be able to identify that need, right? And maybe even help your leader paint yourself in that picture, right? Just like my superintendent, he painted me in the picture of the potential exceptional children's director. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta paint the picture where you have to show, hey, here's where our needs are. And well, what, what skills would this person need? Well, is there training out there for them? And then how, how would we build it within our schedule? to get there so that's that's number two strategic personnel decisions you don't necessarily need additional funds you just need to think outside the box and be innovative right and 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 not just put the person in the position you got to put the right person in the position and then you have to make sure that they have the training to get there because what katie and i just observed over the last two years is a lot of effective teachers getting pulled out of their classrooms and being dropped into roles like with a title of instructional coach without clear expectations of what their job was and what their key responsibilities were, nor training. And you could all pretty much guess where that ended up, just with a lot of frustration and people losing their jobs, right? So if you're gonna get into these expanded opportunities, make sure, A, I've got clear responsibilities of what I'm responsible for. What are the goals, right? Like what are the key results that we're looking for? And three, what what you know type of training can you help me with you may need to self-invest in yourself you know to get it whether that's going back to school or you know or going to some 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 additional trainings but hopefully your school will help you get there so katie i'll open up the floor if, if there's anything more on that well i'm just saying you know so the principal is is seeking out these skills within the team but sometimes the principal doesn't know everything that's on you know all the skills that are available so i remember talking to my principal just just in the hallway one time saying, you know, our library was under construction. So I said, you, she's like, what'd you do this weekend? I said, well, I went to the public library and I, I was able to get 25 books with my regular library card and 25 books with my teacher library card. So my kids could do research on their project. And she's like, well, why'd you do that? And I said, well, cause I'm an 11th grade teacher and my students have to write a research paper. So they have to have material. This was before the World Wide Web was in existence. Mm. That's how old I am. But she didn't know that I would be willing to do that. And so she's, then she started asking me, well, would you be willing to be on the school improvement team? Would you be willing to serve in this leadership position? And so sometimes, you know, I would encourage teachers to let their principals know. I had teachers come to me hey, Katie, I'd really like to run this program that we offer. And I had never even thought of it, um, not, you know, not because of them. It just hadn't crossed my mind. But once they brought it to my attention, I was like, absolutely, they got the opportunity. So sometimes you have to paint yourself in the picture too. Yeah, and, and you know, bring a lot of the, the work with it, right? Because, you know, like a principal, like, oh, I don't have the time to think about that. Well, do the work for them. Right, <laughs> like, right. Hey, it wouldn't cost anything extra and here's how we could do it right so eliminate the barriers uh, because you know like like uh, we said we all ran away from something you know if you're in a you know charter school you probably ran away from a traditional public school but for some reason we all still think we're there <laughs> right <laughs> so 
Awesome. Well, and it's, I, I just saw some of my notes and if I don't uh, move ahead, we'll be here to lunch, but it's about playing chess, not playing checkers, right? You've got, you've got to be playing chess as an organization and really be thinking about how to best use your pieces. And the issue with, you know, uh, checkers is they all have the same value, right? Unless you can get them all the way across and the king has a little bit more value. So I think of, you know, uh, checkers as being in a school system where chess is really, really a charter school, an effective charter school world. Awesome. All right. So let's, so let's talk about the third one, student focus instructional planning. I'm going to get right to the point on this one. I'm not going to, listen, these are the three, like these three questions, right? These three questions, I double dog dare you to go into any effective school and you wouldn't get a clear answer for these three. What will students learn? How will you know that they've learned it? And what will we do if they didn't? I'll never forget being in a school that was, it was, I think it was a D rating at the time. It was really struggling with all parts of it. And I just asked him a simple question. Uh, what's your school's curriculum? And there was five members of this leadership team and you could hear crickets. I said, and someone just kind of said, the, the North Carolina standard course of study? And they said it in a question. I'm like, are you, are you asking or are you saying that's what it is? And they're, no, that's it. Like, okay. It's like, does everybody else agree? And there wasn't, a, there wasn't agreement. I said, well, well, shoot, everybody. If the five of you, the leaders of the school, can't agree on what the school's curriculum is, how the hell do the 30 people outside of this room know, right? All the teachers that are responsible. What will students learn? So I double dog dare you to even. And so every, every, every teacher should know these three. And if there's not clarity in your organization, you can't be student-centered. You can't be student-focused because you're not even sure what the student is supposed to learn, right? Depending on what level they are. So there's a lot of parts of the education uh, you know, plan when in terms of, you know, success that we've seen with these characteristics. And, and so I always love the question, hey, Tom, um, what's, the, what's the education plan that works best? And I'm like, oh, God, I love that question. And I was like, hey, lean in. You know, like I'm trying to tell him some sort of secret. Come here, come here. let me tell you. The one you implement, <laughs> that's it. That's the answer, right? It's not a sexy answer. But whatever one you choose to implement and you implement. They hate that. <laughs> you know, they hate it. I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, listen, every diet plan works. Every workout plan works. Every plan will work if you work it. But the question is, is there anything clear in place that actually you know, dictates what, the, what students are going to learn today? And then question two is, how will you know if they've learned it, right? So that takes some sort of formative assessment, you know, asking questions, observations, whatever it may be. And, and when, I was, when I was a principal, uh, you know, our expectation was every kid pretty much had 20 to 30 math practice problems per day. And our teachers walked around, and they walked around with kids' names on the left and, 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 and the standard on a spreadsheet, and they would put a plus or a minus, right? They would be able to know whether they mastered that right right there every single day we had we had daily formative assessment practices right or, or just you know hands up hands down I mean, whatever it was they had an understanding because if they didn't learn it 
right? If they didn't learn whatever the new concept was for the day, and we used Saxon math at the time. So it was, it was really streamlined. Like they, you know, you taught the new concept, they had, you know, five to 10 practice problems where you, you did an I do, we do, you do, um, you know, a process, you know, through that. And, and then they did a couple independently and, and that's when they would walk around and they put a plus or a minus. And if they had a minus, they'd say, Hey, um, go sit at our, at our, you know, round table or, you know, come over to this, you know, corner and they would reteach it. Right. That's answer three. What will we do if they didn't, right? We they'll go back and reteach it. And then the other kids could just keep going through like independent practice. They would, they would, you know, continue to practice those types of problems or, or, you know, whatever that may be, but there was a process through, through here to know. And there was never, there was never a time where I could ask a teacher, Hey, who's, you know, struggling in your class. And they weren't sure. They wouldn't use words. Like I think they would say, well, I mean, here's, you know, here's the kids who have mastered the last, you know, five or 10 standards. And, and here's the ones who are okay. Well, what do we need to do? And I love question 3A, Katie, because this is the one that everybody misses the most. But what if they do, right? What if they did learn it? Then what? <laughs> you know? Right, it's right. It's not just more work or busy work. And this is the great fund where you get to enrich and pull anchor activities out or whatever those, those may be. And I just call them maybe mission-driven opportunities. And this is where your curriculum can really take a whole other level. Right, where kids they've you know mastered it and great. You don't just go read a book, which is fine. I the kids need to read and they need it in you know you know independent practice time. But if you're a project-based school, then there should be a project that they roll over to. If you're a, a STEAM-based or you know whatever it may be or like experiential learning, this is a great opportunity for for them to take it up a notch to the next level while you're reteaching whatever that concept is uh, for the day. And so when when we had this clear plan as a principal, it allowed me to really provide thoughtful instructional feedback to the teachers and to nurture and grow them. We never really had to, you know, completely revamp our school's education plan. We just tweaked it and, you know, strengthened it. And we used the data to tell us that. We knew exactly what professional development teachers need because we could tell where our kids were struggling or where the teacher was because it was consistent. If you've ever watched the show, I think it was on Sesame Street, where they were like, one of these kids doesn't look like, the, right? One of these things doesn't look like the other. Like you could walk through our school, K-8, and you could watch the instructional practice. And if you walked into one classroom that didn't look like the others, you knew, okay, this is what this teacher needed. Because there was such consistency with some non-negotiables we had. And we weren't trying to create robots, but there was five clear non-negotiables that we had from a teaching practice that we, that we looked for, that we knew that we knew resulted in these, you know, three M's, the motivation, management, and, and uh, mastery. But, you know, when I, when, you know, Katie and I go into schools that are underperforming, it's just, uh, you know, and when I say underperforming, it's just not really, you know, performing to, to their highest level. It doesn't mean they're a failing school. It just means that they're, you know, that they're good, but they're not great. These are usually where, where, where we see the issues is that folks don't all know what we teach, right? And how we teach it. Because you need to know how we all teach too. What's the what's the instructional practices of of our school? But it also allows you going back to being able to communicate the mission with the clarity. You can get this is our education plan. This is how we know students learn. This is why this is why why we know. Or this is the type of student that thrives in our school. And one thing that I always really struggled at: we were really good for eighty-five percent of our kids, fifteen percent. We just those really really high-level kids. And then, and, then the, and then the kind of mediocre, low-level kids. We just really struggled at those, at those two at times uh, to really get them to where they needed uh, to be. 
uh, but 85% uh, you know, was strong. And not that those, those two others you know, didn't improve, but I didn't think we had built the best education plans for those, for those students. So as a leader, it's all right to be uncertain, but it's never all right to be unclear, right? So, you know, if you could ask, ask, ask the principal, says, well, how much time and energy is taken from your day due to the lack of having a clear education plan, <laughs> right? And when we think about of your instructional day, how much time is wasted because you don't necessarily have clarity in, in, in what, you know, in what we teach next and what that looks like. So, um, and then these, you know, question number two, you know, uh, you know, uh, going back to, we found these consistencies in these highest performing schools, some form, some common form, form formative assessment process, right? Just, there was something, whether it was daily, weekly, monthly, whatever it was, there was something where they could all talk about commonly how kids are doing in terms of mastering. And then there was Part two was there was some quarterly, you know, common benchmark assessment. You know, maybe it was if it's math, right, three times a year, or maybe they did school net. Whatever it is, there was there was a common formative assessment, but then there was kind of a, you know, summative that that showed the 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 six to eight week uh, process. And number three, a clear identification process for student remediation. Again, that's that's what do we do if they don't, right? Well, that's that's question number three. What do we do? If they don't learn it, and at the Franklin Academy, which is out out outside I me, mean, it's a K twelve. I believe it's the largest charter school in North Carolina. It's like twenty four hundred kids or something like that. But they have a very clear process that if a student doesn't get an eighty percent on whatever their common assessment is, they immediately they have like a flowchart. They immediately go to this double dose class for you know two weeks. So they'll have double dose of reading or double dose of math uh, for the next you know two weeks, and then they'll retake their assessment to make sure that they're above 80 percent constantly constantly having their finger on kids if you um uh one great school to see is a triangle math and science academy they've been an a or an a an a plus school every year when we had them for the principals consortium they spent 45 minutes katie remember 45 minutes talking about the remediation plan they're an a school Right, right, right. Cool. Who are you remediating? Oh my gosh, I was I was dying because I looked amongst the audience of all the principals of all the schools that were these F's and I go, these schools don't have a remediation plan. Eight <laughs> school, this is what they focused. They had only you know two hours with them, and half of their time was focused on remediation. So right. you got to build that additional instructional time for student remediation. So it you know could be within your own you know uh, you know uh, your own schedule. So so what does this mean for teacher leaders? It really means asking those questions. Hey, are we all clear of what what we're teaching? Are we all clear of you know how we're teaching and how we know where the kids learned it? And so part of this is the equipping of those other teachers, right? Or to or or to start the conversation and the influence of hey, we need some commonality. Right. And, you know, a lot of, you know, charter schools, they, well, we don't want to be like the school system. I'm not asking to be like the school system. I, I don't want every kid in the entire school doing the same lesson, right? Like they have in Wake County, like every third grader does the same reading lesson every day, no matter where they are. What I'm saying is you need some non-negotiables to create consistency so you can have common conversations uh, to get there. So you can have frequent monitoring and accountability for, you know, you know, uh, for the instructional practices, if you can't define it, if you can't define it, you, you can't improve it, right? You can't measure it uh, to make sure it's there. 
makes me think of that cartoon, Tom. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's two scientists looking at a chalkboard and they have this huge equation. And in the middle of the equation, it says, then a miracle happens. And the one scientist says to the other, I'm going to need you to explain that middle part. And that's how the education plan is often described in, uh, in failing schools is they say, well, you know, here's our curriculum. You know, we're going to be an A school. Okay, well, they want that miracle to happen. And the miracle is really in the planning. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that is creating a culture that's conducive for student learning. Yes. I mean, that's really where it comes down to is this is a culture of learning and this is the expectations that we do here. And, and, you know, having that teacher influence again with, you know, a consistency is like, Hey, if we don't have a, you know, commonality in terms of our discipline planning and, and what, you know, what the expectations are for students, then how, then how can we ever get to a point uh, that we want to go? So again, this is a lot of information in a short amount of time, but but it's really about asking those questions and say, do we have these in place? Do we have these, these, you know, what, you know, what will students learn? And it doesn't matter whether it's reading, math, social curriculum, you know, physical curriculum, those, those, those three questions work for all of us. So what is it that we want kids to learn today, right? In terms of their social behavior, it's all the same, right? So those three questions can drive you through every part of, of your, of your academic day. These next two, we're kind of, we're going to hit them as one. So this is the multiple layers of parental engagement and the site-based decisions in uh, real time. So think about, think about this, right? There's every, almost every charter school I go to says, our parents just aren't involved. Enough. Our parents just aren't involved. Enough. And I go, well, but what does engagement look like to you, right? How do you define engagement? What does it mean to be engaged? They already chose you. Let's just start there. Like they already jumped out of their traditional public school. They already decided that, you know, maybe I don't need a bus to take them or I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice something, whether it's lunch, right. Or time or whatever it may be. So they've already chosen you. So that's a level of engagement, right? That's a layer of, of engagement. And then maybe, you know, they, you know, volunteer and do uh, some other things. Katie and I have already talked about how, you know, parents have kind of gone from, you know, like a PTO president to, to board members to maybe even a staff member or maybe even a principal down the road, right? So that's still levels of parent of engagement kind of, you know, growing up there. But I remember when I, when I was a middle school principal, that was the common, uh, 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 you know, cry, right? Oh, middle school parents are just never involved. Middle school parents. So we created a position internally. We had one teacher who wanted to be the uh, volunteer coordinator. I was like, what a great role, right? Just like Katie said, hey, we need this, Tom. And I, oh, yes, let's do it. And so, I, so, so she was in charge of it. And I was like, all right, we're going to get volunteers. And I ended up getting 32 parent volunteers at our middle school. Our middle school only had 160 kids at the time. And some of the parents were from the elementary school. They didn't even care to work and then they showed up and then they said, all right, what do we do? And I go, oh, great question. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up losing them because we just didn't have it, right? All, all the teachers were crying that they don't have, you know, you know, that the parents aren't involved, they're not engaged. And I missed, you know, the missing you know, part was, well, what do they do when they get here, right? We had volunteer time set up, but we didn't have a list of things for them to do. 
So when I was a charter school consultant for the state, I happened to go to the Tiller School. That's a great school in Carteret County. It's a K-5. And I happened to see this sign for parents, and it was, it was two index boxes. And one index box said during school hours, and one index box said after school hours. And I just happened to open up the index card box, and you guys might be too young to even remember index card boxes or even index cards in general. But you know, you know, it was just like, like that plastic box that you, uh, that you uh, flipped up. And I opened up a card, and it said, you know, it gave all these like instructions, a task analysis, a step-by-step -step detail of, you know, getting, you know, you know, you're in room 202 and you'll go in and, and there's, there's a box to like, you know, you know, shred uh, paper or, you know, cut out something or whatever, I mean, whatever it was. But what they had done is they had recognized that parents sat in car line for like two hours every day. So a parent could, could get out of car line they walk into this index card box and they grab an index card and then they go, they go and do whatever the card told them to do. And I was like, Oh my gosh, complete independent practice. And then they could grab a card for the after school hours. Cause let's say they had, you know, they, you know, you know, couldn't do that or their husband wanted to help out or their wife wanted to help out during the weekend. And in the after school hour box was, you know, we needed the leaves raked, right. Or there's a particular tree that might need to be trimmed or they needed something painted. And so people would sign this. I said, oh, my gosh, if I would have had this idea, if I would have had this idea when I was a middle school principal, we would have been a hero because we had, we had got the workforce. We just hadn't created the work. Okay. So, you know, before you can get to the multiple layers of engagement, you have to kind of have that vision of what is, what is engagement going to look like? How are we going to define it? Right. Be clear with the expectations. And always remember the 80-20 principle. And that's what these schools are really great at. You know, you know the 80-20 principle is understanding that 80% of your output is going to come from, you know, 20% of your input, right? So 20% of your volunteers are going to do 80% of your volunteer work, whatever that may be. And so at Greensboro Academy and all, all the NHA schools, they have, a, they have a parent workroom, right? And it's, it's, it's the first door you see on the left. As soon as you walk into NHA, any NHA school, you're going to see this sign, parent workroom. And you go in there and there's computers and materials and opportunities and they invite parents in. Some parents just go in there and use the computers and do some work, but while they're doing it, they, there's, there's things for them to do. So they've created the space, right? So if you're going to have these schools that have these great uh, uh, um, successes with you know, parent engagement, they're very intentional about it. And what was it? It was a Union Academy, right? They were just talking, they, um, uh, their uh, volunteer program, right, uh, Katie? They had, um, they had, like, they asked uh, parents to do, you know, I don't know, 50 hours or something like that, or families to do 50 hours. And so what, so what they did is they actually hired, they hired an employee to be the volunteer coordinator for every family's 50 hours. And there's like 2,000 kids. So let's just say that's 1,000 families. That's, 50,000 hours of, of labor. And right. so, and so when you get your 50 hours, you get a shirt, right? You get a shirt and then you get like a, like a, a magnet. Mag magnet, right? So right. they can kind of, you know, shame, shame the other parents and be like, Hey, where's your, where's your magnet? Where's your, where's your, I did my 50 hours t-shirt. Right. But, but they had, but they had purpose and intentionality. So, so these schools who, you know, so what does this mean from a teacher leader perspective? Well, it's exactly what I shared. It's you got to have intentionality. You can't complain about, you know, parents not being engaged until you define what engagement looks like. And then you start to paint the picture of them inside of it. 
uh, Metro Atlanta is, is uh, working on um, creating a, a database of all their parents and what their skill sets and talents and where they work at. So then when, when they have a job, they can actually go like, you know, filter search, <laughs> like who's, hey, we need something woven. Who's, who's, who has a skill set of that, right? Or we need, you know, someone to cook or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, but they, 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 you know, they got intentional uh, with that. So the schools that were successful with their layers of parental engagement, uh, they had intention behind it. And that's what, and that's what teacher leaders can do. So last but not least, site-based uh, decisions. So everything around this cycle of what I've just talked about is site-based decisions in real time. When you think about a traditional public school, a district, you're just, you know, you're just really thinking about um, trying to, uh, uh, you know, steer a, like a freighter with like a, like an oar, right? Like a, <laughs> like a, I mean, they're giant freights, um, you know, or like naval air carriers, and you're just like a little, you know, person with an oar trying to steer it around. And compared to charter schools or bass boats, like you guys, you guys can do anything. So always be challenging status quo in a positive way. And that's becoming a person of influence is asking great questions. And, you know, you know, you know, I remember I shared, uh, before you knock the fence down, ask why it's there, right? So don't just kind of attack every little, you know, uh, sacred cow that you may have, but just, hey, how did we decide to do this? And, and what are other schools out there doing it to improve their operations or to improve their, their car lines or to improve their, their lunch lines or anything that they do or to improve their hiring process? And to make sure that your principal isn't just taking it all on, right? Just like Katie shared, you sometimes have to be the voice to let them know, hey, look, this is an interest I have. I have these skill sets and I know that I can take a look at this and take this off your plate, right? Or I can improve it. And here's how I want to test to improve it, uh, you know, to be able to get it there. But having site-based decisions in real time is critical, especially when you're thinking outside of your box, outside of your four walls of the classroom. So, so critical, uh, you know, to do that. So, I mean, I've already talked about, you know, being able to take, you know, teachers once a month and put them into administrative, uh, positions, right? I've, you know, we've uh, talked about being able to make, you know, teachers, instructional coaches, and, and uh, part-time principals out of their classrooms. I mean, you, there is no limit to what you can do. And yes, DPI has some regulation of things. So I'm not saying break the law or break the policy. What I'm saying is, do we have a system in place to cover that? And let's make sure that it's the most innovative system and our, and our resources are used the most effectively. Because when we, when we stay within that groupthink mentality, that's just what we become, right? But you do what you know. And most of us, that's where we all came from, right? Because, you know, charter schools are only 20 years old. So some of you have maybe only been in a charter school, but some of you have experienced, you know, traditional public school and bureaucracy of, of that, of just, it's kind of the way we do things here. So if you hear someone say it's the way we always do things here, ask, well, how could we do it better? And is there a way we can do it better? And, and with your teaming, right, that's the whole uh, point of, you know, bringing in four teacher leaders from every school is to start to have those site-based decision, real-time conversations and be able to bring those solutions to your leadership team. So these were the five, these are the five that Katie and I see. I mean, everywhere we go, we can pretty much identify it. If a school is struggling, we could point to one of these five and be like, okay, well, this is where it is. 
right? Lack of clarity with their academic plan, right? Or lack of, you know, talented staff or, or you know, lack of uh, giving staff opportunities or lack of empowerment, whatever it may be, uh, you know, to get there. Or, you know, they, they're not using their uh, potential parent workforce in, a, in an um, effective way. Two things I missed on the parent thing. Here's another site-based decision real quick. At Explorers, every Friday, the entire elementary school from the hours of 8.30 to 10.30 has common planning time because all of the elementary students are taught by volunteers in these six-week courses. Like there's been robotics classes, leadership classes I've done. My kids have gone to like, you know, learn how to do circus stuff. Maybe they'll go swimming. And it's all parent, right, or uh, community-based uh, uh, programmings. But it gives those teachers two hours of common planning time per week. I mean, how many of you guys would love two hours of common planning time, you know, per week in addition to the time that they already have? And really, it was about an idea of how do we expose our students to more content, right, different content that we can't offer here in school because we just can't hire a full-time, you know, a Spanish teacher, whatever it may be. Well, heck, we can find, you know, people who are willing to teach it externally and, you know, bring it in here, you know, STEM, STEM robotics and all those other types of courses. So the, there's so many ways out there uh, that you can make site-based decisions in real time because you don't have to go through seven layers of, of a bureaucratic system to get it approved. You can change your school calendars on a dime. It just, it just takes a simple board vote and most operational decisions don't have to go anywhere except with your own operations. So I've talked for way, way too long, longer than I had thought to. Uh, Katie, do you have anything else to add? And is there any questions in the chat box or does anybody wanna, wanna um, uh, piggyback on anything that I said? The chat box is clear, uh, but I would just encourage the teacher leaders on the line to, you know, to see which of these five is holding your school back. And, mm -hmm. And don't just go to the principal and say, hey, this is the problem. Develop a plan. And, and even if he or she hates that plan, at least it's the start of a conversation. You know, at least, the, you know, you can be drawn into the solution. Um, but just be confident that, you know, you live within this frame of the school and you have something to contribute and you can be part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great point, right? The name of this program is, uh, you know, uh, Becoming a Teacher of Influence. And remember, leadership is influence. It's not a title. So the influence is, hey, somebody believes in you. Someone believes that you have influence, and they sent you here. So that's a great start. Well, Tom said, what Katie said, or, you know, whatever it is, hey, here's something we learned. Can I take a deeper look at it, right? Or, hey, is this an initiative that you could, you know, uh, uh, potentially see us taking on in the next year or two? If so, I would really like to lead and start to do that research for it. You gotta build a culture for, for risk and innovation. I mean, that's what, that's what charter schools were birthed to, to do. So go do it, right? Go, go, go take that mile that you've been given. Thanks everybody for taking this time uh, with us. And next Wednesday, we're gonna be focusing on time. Time management, time is the only way that we're all uh, equal in life. And uh, so uh, Katie's gonna lead you through uh, some great time management uh, strategies that she's learned uh, through, through her time and her research. And uh, we're gonna share some resources with you. Take care, everybody. Thanks again for your time today. Thank you. Bye-bye.